Well, good morning. We're in a sermon series called Seven Words from the Cross. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross, he made seven statements. Uh, we call them the words from the cross. And in his final moments before death, Jesus makes his fifth statement, uh, the word of humanity. Uh, Jesus says simply, I am thirsty. Throughout his life, Jesus said a lot of things that only God could say. Uh, he, he was God, and so he said things that only God could say because he's God, and, and we couldn't say them because we're not. But I'm thirsty is something that you and I say all the time. Uh, the word of humanity is something that everyone could say. Uh, John 19, 28 gives the context. It says, after this, Jesus knew that everything had been completed. So that the scripture would come true, he said, I am thirsty. There was a jar full of vinegar there, so the soldiers soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a branch of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' mouth. Earlier, the soldiers had offered uh, Jesus something to drink, but he'd turned it down. In Mark 15, 23, it says that immediately after they put Jesus on the cross, the soldiers tried to give Jesus wine mixed with myrrh to drink, but he refused. Why did they give Jesus myrrh, and why did he refuse to drink it? Uh, remember when the wise men came, uh, when Jesus was born, they brought three gifts. They brought gold, predicting that he would be a king. They brought frankincense, predicting that he would be a priest, because frankincense was the incense that they burnt in the temple. And they brought myrrh, which predicted that he would die. Uh, myrrh was what you gave people when they were dying in pain. Myrrh was the painkiller of the day. Now, why would the Roman executioners offer a drug to Jesus hanging on the cross? Well, it wasn't out of humanitarian concern to ease his pain. Uh, crucifixion was an excruciating uh, method of execution. It could go on for hours. It could actually go on for days. And often the person being crucified would scream in pain for hours. And so the soldiers offered Jesus this myrrh-drugged drink in order to silence him. It's not for his benefit, it's for their benefit. They just don't want to hear him scream for hours. So why did Jesus refuse the painkiller? Well, he didn't want to be unconscious on the cross. There were things he wanted to say on the cross. There was work he needed to do on the cross. And Jesus also wanted to feel the full impact of carrying the sin of the world. He was not going to die for the world on drugs. He wanted to die with his faculties fully functioning and feeling every ounce of pain. So Jesus refuses this drugged drink at the beginning, but now in the final moments before his death, he says, I'm thirsty. So what do we learn from this? What do we learn from the thirst of Jesus, the thirst of others, and what do we learn about your own thirst? Why does Jesus say, I'm thirsty? Well, there's a theological reason, there's a prophetic reason, and there's a personal reason. So let's take a look at them. On your notes, first, I'm thirsty showed that Jesus is truly human. There's a false doctrine, a false heresy out there that says Jesus wasn't fully human. Jesus was God, but he was God just kind of with a human shell on him. 
He's just sort of an apparition. He gave the appearance of being human. As some people think that Jesus was half man, half God. But, but he wasn't half human, half God. He was 100% human and 100% God at the same time. That's a very important Christian doctrine. He fully experienced the pain of the cross as God, as a man. We see his humanity in Philippians 2. It says, Jesus gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. He was born to be a man and became a servant. And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God, even when that caused his death on the cross. And so this I'm thirsty statement refutes the heresy that Jesus Christ wasn't really a man, he just had the appearance of a man. Well, this demonstrates that he's a real man with real thirst, feeling real pain. You know, if he wasn't fully human, he couldn't die for our sin. Because God can't die, but a human being can die. And what I'm trying to teach you here in this is that it's just as wrong to deny Jesus' humanity as it is to deny his deity. We have to recognize both. Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. And this word from the cross demonstrates his humanity. I'm thirsty. You could say that. Second, I thirst showed Jesus was the promised Messiah. It's got a prophetic reason. John says, uh, so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. For hundreds of years in the Old Testament, God had been telling humanity that he was going to send the Messiah to be the Savior of the world. And in the Old Testament, there are over 380 predictions about the Messiah, about who he would be, about what he would do, about where he would be born, about how he would die. 380 predictions so people would know this is the guy. Because lots of people claimed to be the Son of God, but they weren't. And the way you knew that they weren't was they couldn't fulfill all 380 predictions. For instance, the Bible said that he would be born in Bethlehem. Well, Jesus was. You don't have any control over your birth, where you're born. It says he would be taken to Egypt as a young baby. Jesus had no control over that, but it happened to him. The Bible said he'd be raised in Nazareth. You don't get to pick where you grow up said he would do miracles, even raise the dead, and he did. It said he would be betrayed by a friend, and he was. It said he would be falsely accused, he was. It said he would be hung on a cross. And what's interesting about that one is, is that prediction was written a thousand years before the Romans invented crucifixion. Nobody had ever heard of crucifixions when that prediction was written. But the Bible predicted he'd die on a cross, and for years people were going, a cross, what's that? The Bible said torturers would gamble for his clothes, and they did. It said his bones would not be broken, and they weren't. The, the Romans would often break the leg bones of people they were crucifying because it sped up the process of the death. But Jesus' legs weren't broken because he gave up his own life. They didn't take it from him. The Bible said he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. How do you control where you're buried? The Bible said he would come back to life three days later, and he did thousand years before Jesus Christ hung on the cross in Psalm 69, it says this of the Messiah. It says, when I was thirsty, they offered me vinegar. I mean, that's just a wild, out-of-the-box prediction. 
I mean, he'll be given vinegar to drink in his final moments? What's a jar of vinegar doing at the crucifixion? I mean, David didn't even understand that when he wrote it down uh, in the psalm, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He didn't know what, what that was going to happen. But he, he, why, why was the vinegar there? What the soldiers offered Jesus was a drink known as Pascha. Pascha was the drink of, of poor people and soldiers for 300 years in the, the Roman Empire. It, it was the Red Bull monster drink of the day. Okay, That's what it was. You know, Pascha, it was wine that had gone bad and it turned into vinegar. And then they would dilute it with water and mix in herbs and spices in order to make this drink. And it was a popular drink because it was cheap. You could use bad wine and, uh, to make it. And the sourness hid the bad taste of their water. They didn't have purified water like we have today. It was just dirty old well water or water out of a river. And so uh, it, it hid the taste of the water. And the sourness actually quenched their thirst better than drinking the bad water. And the acid in the Pascha killed stomach bacteria and it cured stomach ailments. So when Jesus said, I'm thirsty, a soldier took a hyssop stick, put a sponge on it, dipped it in this, this vinegar solution, and held it up to Jesus' mouth in order to cool his lips and quench his thirst. Now, what's the significance of the hyssop stick? Well, 1,500 years earlier, when Moses led uh, the nation of Israel out of Egypt, remember, Pharaoh wouldn't let him go. The ten plagues came. The last plague was the death of the firstborn. And God told Moses, the death angel is going to sweep over Egypt and kill the firstborn in every house. And so I want you to sacrifice a lamb. Look at the verse here. Sacrifice a lamb, take a branch of the hyssop plant, dip it into the bowl filled with blood, the blood of that lamb, and then wipe the blood on the sides and tops of the door frames. And the death angel then would pass over the house of the, of the Jewish people who did that. So the Roman soldiers have no idea the symbolism that they're fulfilling here. But when they take a hyssop stick and they put a, this sponge and they dip it in this red wine vinegar solution and they hold it up to, to the mouth of Jesus, every Jew there knew that's, that's a symbol for the Passover lamb. Scripture is being fulfilled. We know Jesus is truly the promised Messiah because he fulfilled all 380 predictions, some of them in the last seconds before his death. Third, there's a personal reason in this statement. It shows how much Jesus loves me. Jesus was willing to die of thirst for me. And what Jesus is doing here, it's called redemptive suffering. He hasn't done anything wrong. He doesn't deserve this punishment. He's suffering for the benefit of someone else, for you. And that's called redemptive suffering. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ's thirst shows how much he loves you. Now, what do we learn from this about the thirst of others? Everybody that's around you at work is spiritually thirsty. Every house in your neighborhood, the people are spiritually thirsty. You go to the grocery store, you go to the soccer game. People are spiritually thirsty. 
Now, they don't use that term to describe their condition. They say things like, I- I'm just unfulfilled. I- I'm so bored. I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm hanging by a thread. I- I'm about to throw in the towel. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I, I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> Let it go. I mean, they just, that's the way they say it. Okay? But they are spiritually thirsty. God addresses this emptiness, this spiritual thirst and hunger in the book of Amos. He says, the time is coming when I will send famine on the land. People will be hungry, but not for bread. They will be thirsty, but not for water. They will hunger and thirst for a message from the Lord. People will stagger everywhere from sea to sea, searching for the word of the Lord, running here, going there, but they will not find it. Beautiful girls and fine young men will grow faint and weary, thirsting for the Lord's word. I mean, that describes people in our day. There is a spiritual famine in our day. Beautiful girls, fine young men, beautiful people with empty lives. They are hungry and thirsty for spiritual things. And they're staggering around from sea to sea, from the Atlantic to the Pacific, looking for things that are going to satisfy looking for money and things and looks and drugs and sex, and they're trying to quench their thirst with the things of the world, but none of those things are going to satisfy it because it's a spiritual thirst. Two things you need to remember this week about everybody you see. Number one, I serve Jesus by serving others. They're hungry. They're thirsty. And when you satisfy their spiritual hunger, their spiritual thirst, it's like you're serving Jesus Christ on the cross. Matthew 25 tells us that on judgment day, we're going to stand before God. Lord will we'll say to Jesus, when, we, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? And he will tell them, he'll say to you, I assure you, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you were doing it to me. I serve Jesus by serving others. Now think about this. Think about about the irony of Jesus saying, I am thirsty. Every single drop of water was created by Jesus Christ. Every raindrop, every river, every lake, every... He invented ice. The creator of every drop of water in the universe is hanging on the cross, and he's thirsty. I mean, he could have done a miracle and and given himself water. If he could turn water into wine, he could turn vinegar into water and get it to him. But instead, at this point, Jesus asks for human assistance. The God of the universe who created water says, I'm thirsty, can anybody help me? His hands are nailed to the cross, can't get his own drink. Someone has to put it on a sponge, on a stick, and lift it up to his mouth. He's asking for human assistance. Imagine being the guy who gets to give Jesus a drink on the cross. I mean, we don't don't know that he's a follower of Jesus. He's a Roman soldier. He's just following orders is what he's following. But what a privilege to be the person who, when the Son of God says, I'm thirsty, You get to meet that need. I mean, what an event in the entire history of the universe. What a privilege that would have been. You have that privilege every single day of your life. 
Because Jesus says, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you were doing it to me. When you help somebody in pain, when, when, when you meet somebody's need, when you serve someone, Jesus says you're doing it to him. I serve Jesus by serving others. That's a privilege that I have, that you have every single day. Second lesson about spiritually thirsty people around you is Jesus notices the smallest service. Matthew 10, 42, if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. You'll surely be rewarded. Everybody wants to do great things for God. God says the great things aren't the big, flashy, glitzy, big deal stuff in front of big crowds. God says the great things are, is do, is do you respond to the need in the moment? Do you respond to the need? The greatest things are actually the smallest things. Humble acts of service that nobody else around you even notices. But God says, I see them, and I'll reward you for them. God hears you say that kind word. God sees you give that pat on the back. God God sees you take a moment when you don't even have a moment. Because it's not the big things that will get you the credit. Jesus notices the smallest act of service. Let me share this testimony from a missionary to India. It says, when I got tuberculosis in India, I was forced to stay in a sanitarium for months. I didn't speak the language, but I tried to give Christian literature in their language to the patients, doctors, and nurses. Not a single person accepted my literature. One night I woke up around 2 a.m. coughing from my tuberculosis. I noticed an older, sicker patient sit up on the edge of his bed. He tried to stand up, but in weakness fell back into the bed. He tried again and again, but he finally gave up exhausted. I could hear him crying softly through the night. The next morning, I realized that he'd been trying to get out of bed to go to the bathroom. He'd soiled himself, and the stench in our ward was awful. Other patients yelled insults at him. Angry nurses moved him roughly as they cleaned up the mess. One nurse even slapped him. The old man curled up into a ball and wept. The next night, I woke up again coughing, and I noticed the same man trying to get out of bed. Like the night before, he fell back into his bed whimpering. So I got up out of my bed, went over to him, I put my arms under him and picked him up and carried him to the toilet, which was a filthy small room with a hole in the floor. I stood behind him with my arms under his armpits as he took care of himself. After he'd finished, I carried him back to bed. The next morning, a patient woke me up and handed me a hot cup of tea. He motioned that he wanted a gospel tract that I'd tried to give him before. Other patients came to me and asked for the Christian booklets that no one had been interested in. Nurses and interns and doctors asked me for my booklet about Jesus. Weeks later, a pastor who spoke the language visited me, and he told me that several people in the hospital had put their trust in Jesus Christ as a result of reading those booklets. So what did it take for me to reach these dear people with the good news? Not my ability to speak their language, Not my ability to give a persuasive presentation. I simply helped an old man go to the bathroom. What are you willing to do to get people into heaven? What kind of love will you show to people who are physically, emotionally, spiritually thirsty? Is anybody going to be in heaven because of you? 
What are you willing to do? Jesus said, if you've done it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Have you done it to anybody? Third thing. This one's the hardest, hardest one of all. The most Christ-like service is to enemies. You are most like Jesus Christ when you're helping people you disagree with. You are most like Jesus Christ when you're helping people you don't like. You're most like Christ when you're helping people who don't like you. Proverbs 25, 21, if your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. I was in India a couple of weeks ago, did a pastor's conference for our network there. And one of the ministries that we have in the network is our water well ministry. Uh, my translator is involved in that, and he was telling me that, that, that when people become believers out in the rural villages, they're often persecuted by the Hindu or Muslim uh, majority to the point that they're excluded from the village well. So they, their families can't even get water. And so our network goes into the village and drills a new well. We actually hire a Hindu or Muslim well driller, pay him, give him the money to come and drill the well. And when the well is finished, they hold a dedication service and they share the gospel. And they announce that anyone is welcome. Often the pastor of the church is responsible for the well. And they just announce, listen, anybody can come get water out of the Jesus well. Whether you're Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, anybody can come to Jesus as well. And so far, the network, we've drilled over 90 wells, and over 7,000 people have given their life to Christ at the dedication services. And they're not giving their life to Christ to get water out of the well, because we'll give it to them whether they do that or not. And we have over 200 applications from other villages that, that want wells. That's what happens when you love your enemies. And we bring people to Jesus Christ with our love, not, not our words. By our kindness, not our protests. By our compassion, not by what we're against. And the little acts of service that we do every day, the most Christ-like service is service to enemies. If you're looking for a practical way to do that, uh, I, just, just yesterday morning I got word from Voice of the Martyrs that they're doing these outreach packets. On, it's on your little insert here. It'll tell you about that. And they're actually sending packets of, of goods to persecuted Christians for them to give to the people who are persecuting them as a witness to Christ. And amazing things are happening as they're doing that. Now, let's look at how do I get my thirst satisfied. Well, first, I got to realize what I'm really thirsty for. You know, we live in the world of, of if I could just, if I could just get married, then I'd be fulfilled. If I could just get a promotion, if I could just uh, get a car, if I could just graduate, if I could just have a baby, if I could just fill in the blank, then I'd be fulfilled. But we're thirsty for the wrong things. Oh, they're good things, but they are not things that are going to satisfy your spiritual thirst. No person, no job, no thing, no experience is going to satisfy your spiritual thirst. I mean, Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God, and I long for you. My whole being desires you like a dry, worn-out, and waterless land. My soul is thirsty for you. What you are thirsty for is God. 
And the more you get to know him, the closer you get to Jesus Christ, the more satisfied, the more fulfilled, the more happy and joyful you're going to be. Next, I need to realize, in regard to my thirst, that Jesus feels my pain. Isaiah 53, he, Jesus, took our suffering on himself and felt our pain for us. He was wounded for the wrong we did and crushed for the evil we did. The punishment which made us well was given to him, and we are healed because of his wounds. Some of you face chronic physical pain. Because of your back, because of your joints, because of migraines. And and Jesus Christ understands chronic pain, physical pain. Some of you face chronic emotional pain. Because of discouragement or defeat or disappointment, the pain of rejection, the pain of betrayal, the pain of a broken dream, a broken marriage. Jesus Christ understands your emotional pain. Hebrews 4, our high priest, that's Jesus, our high priest understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. He didn't sin, but he understands our pain. Because he bore our pain in the cross. Third, you've got to stop looking for fulfillment elsewhere. Jeremiah 2.13, God says, My people have done two evils. They have turned away from me the spring of living water. That's the first evil, turning away from God. And they have dug their own wells, which are broken wells that cannot hold water. That's the second evil. Anytime you look to something else to fulfill you besides God, that's idolatry. It's sin. It's evil. You know why you're unfulfilled? Because you've turned your back on God and you're digging your own wells. You're thinking, if I can just do this, then I'll be fulfilled. If I can just get that, then I'll be fulfilled. And you're digging a dry well, and Niagara Falls is right behind you. God says, I can fulfill every one of your deepest needs, but you're over there digging a dry well. John 7, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, If you are thirsty, come to me. Come to me. That's about as simple as you can make it. Come to me. If you're spiritually, emotionally thirsty, if your life is unfulfilled, if you're bored, if you're frustrated, Jesus says, come to me. If you believe in me, come and drink, for the scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow out from within. He's not going to give you a drink of water. He's not going to give you a glass of water. He's not going to give you a pool of water. He's going to give you a river of living water. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Dig in your own wells. Sin makes you thirsty. Sin makes you thirsty. Anytime you try to fill your thirst with anything other than God, you get thirstier. Why? Because sin is addicting, not satisfying. Every sin is addicting, not satisfying. I take pornography. You know, it's never enough. It, it never satisfies you. It just leaves you wanting more. Uh, every sin is, is addicting. Anger. If you get angry, it's not satisfying. And you don't just get angry once. You get angry over and over again. You get angry because you keep getting angry. Never satisfies. It's just addicting. 
You get impatient, you don't get impatient once. You get impatient over and over. It's addicting. It doesn't fulfill. It doesn't quench your thirst. And if you feel unsatisfied in your life right now, there's a word for that. You're spiritually thirsty. You're spiritually thirsty. And the only one who can quench that thirst is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says, come to me. Come to me and I will give you rivers of living water. Let's pray together. Would you just pray this prayer in the the quietness of your, your own heart and mind? Would you just say, God, I have pursued many things in my life that I thought would satisfy me. And I'm still thirsty. And so I thank you, Jesus, that you feel my pain. You know what it's like to be rejected, to be criticized, to be misunderstood. You know the emotional pain in my heart. And Jesus, you know the physical pain in my body. You know know the physical struggles that I have. And, And I just thank you that you care about my thirst. And today, I want to stop digging my own broken wells. I I want to turn around to Niagara. And you said, if you're thirsty, come to me. And so I'm coming to you right now. I want you to put that river of living water within me. And God, in gratitude, I I, I want to serve you by serving others. I, I want to share the living water that you give to me. I want to share a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. I want to help the hurting and give encouragement. And I thank you that you promise that you will recognize the simplest act of service. And you'll reward me for it. And God, I need help with serving my enemies. There are people in my life who've wounded me, hurt me, rejected me, kicked me when I was down, abandoned me. There are people who hate me. And God, you said if my enemies are hungry, I'm to give them food. If they're thirsty, I'm to give them water, and I don't want to do that. But you died for them just like you died for me. And so, God, I pray that nothing in my life would keep them from coming to you. And God, I want to live every day of my life making people thirsty for you. And so use me to meet the needs of the thirsty people around me. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.